sections twenty five to thirty seven of on providence and fate by proclus translated by thomas taylor this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards twenty five because however we have made three discussions which we said were necessary to a distinct survey of the objects of inquiry let us now pass to the doubts and give to each of them an appropriate solution in the first place therefore you consider this as a sufficient argument that what is in our power is frivolous and is the work alone of the celestial bodies that we men assert ourselves to be the causes of those events which are attended with prosperity but in things in which we are unfortunate we transfer the cause to necessity instead of ascribing them to choice and thus doubting you think you obtain this as a common conception concerning fate that it has a more principal power in practical affairs than our impulses indeed i myself do not see men otherwise affected than as ascribing to themselves the cause of their success but to others the cause of their errors but in this we differ that you indeed admit the opinion of the many as sufficient to form a judgment of things while i conceive them to reason in this way through a certain immoderate love of themselves among wise men however to whom it belongs to look both to whole and parts and not to neglect the order which they possess with reference to them divinity is considered as the principal cause of all events from which good is derived to all things but the next causes to this are the period of the world and time in which events are co-adapted and coordinated to wholes nothing being superfluously adventitious in the polity of wholes and in the third place they consider themselves as causes in those things in which they are allotted a deliberate choice and in which by their impulses they cooperate to the completion of things twenty six when however anything happens contrary to their choice then they deservedly ascribe the event to wholes alone and the efficiency of wholes as the conquering cause for it is everywhere necessary that partial natures should energize in conjunction with wholes but wholes without partial natures and after this manner intellectual men divide events but not as you have divided them here likewise plato in the laws exclaiming that divinity indeed governs all things but that after divinity fortune and time rule over all human affairs and that our art follows as the third after these for during a tempest the pilot's art contributes something and in disease the medical art and in short 
in practical affairs the political art if therefore our affairs are prosperous fate time and divinity must be considered as the causes that they are so hence there will be three causes of events divinity indeed causing that which comes to pass to be good but time and fate causing it to be arranged in one concord with everything and in short another cause is human for every human work is a part of the universe but the contrary is not true because it is necessary that other animals also since they are parts of the universe should not only act but also suffer for every part indeed of this mundane fabric and drama has for its end good since no part of it is left inordinate but is so woven with other parts as to contribute to the well-being of the universe the contrary however is not true that everything which is allotted good is coordinated with the mundane polity for there is a super-mundane life and the life of the gods and of souls that transcend fate and follow providence alone twenty seven where then does that which is in our power exist since that which is generated is connected with the period of the world and again since it is produced from that alone where else should we say it exists than in our internal elections and impulses for of these alone we are the lords but things which take place external to us have many other more powerful beings as their lords for it is necessary that what is generated externally should become a part of the universe that it may also be generated and that this should be effected through the consent and cooperation of the universe that it may produce everything in itself by one part of itself acting on another and being passive from another on this account therefore in the actions of men we praise these persons but we blame those because through choice they were lords of their deeds and we do not say that the universe but the agent was the cause of the quality of the actions for the quality of a deed is not derived from the universe but from the life of the agent it is however coordinated to the whole on account of the whole and is again such as it is on account of a part and that we assert these things with truth the oracles of the gods will manifest to you since they often ascribe victory to our choice and not to the order alone of the mundane periods as for instance when they say quote, on beholding yourself fear close quote, and again Quotes, know thyself and quote, believe yourself to be above body and you are close quote. in short they say quote, that our sorrows germinate in us as the voluntary progeny of the particular life which we lead close quote. 28 
28. It is not fit, therefore, to refer all events to the order alone of the universe, as neither is it fit to refer them to our impulse alone. Nor again is it proper to separate the soul from those beings that have an absolute elective power, and whose very being consists in deliberate choice alone, and in declining this thing, but embracing that. Though the soul in those events which take place is not the mistress of the universe, for it is requisite that every cause should aspire after that thing alone which it is naturally adapted to obtain. But that which is in our power is not only adapted to be active, but also to be essentially elective. It is also adapted to act electively in conjunction with other things, and either to err or act rightly on account of choice. For, though the deed may be good, yet if the agent acts from a bad choice, we say that the action is bad. For that which is good in the deed is on account of something else, but that which is depraved is on account of the choice of him who performs the deed. Hence it is evident to all men that we are the lords of actions, so far as they are eligible. 29. But after this question you say that all of us are solicitous about futurity in all things, and even in those things which appear to be in our power. Speaking summarily, you say well. What then, if we are all lovers of divination, is there nothing in our power? I, however, on the contrary say that if nothing is in our power, but events are compelled to take place from motion alone, we shall not be lovers of divination. For what occasion is there for divination in things which owe their existence to external compulsion, and the knowledge of which is, as of things, future or not future? For such knowledge is superfluous when events are necessary, since it is impossible for that which is necessary not to come to pass, though we should a thousand times consult about and be prescient of it. If, therefore, events necessarily happen, we are in vain solicitous about futurity. We are not, however, in vain solicitous about it, since this is natural to us, for nothing which is according to nature is in vain. Hence, it is not proper to consider all things as produced by compulsion, in consequence of binding them by the circulation of the heavenly bodies. But we must admit that foreknowledge is in some things profitable to us, and that we do not live merely for the purpose of foreknowing events, but that by foreknowing we may contribute or not contribute something to things future and may be more prompt in our energies. We must likewise admit that not divination only, but prayers, and the whole business of sacred rites, contribute something to our advantage. Or we must exile these, pouring oil on their heads, and 
crowning them with wool, and we must neither extend our hands upward, nor grant that we ought to worship those who are able to suspend the celestial influences. For men, when in difficult circumstances, will in vain indulge a hope of being liberated from them by invoking divinity, and Apollo himself will in vain give responses, unless, by performing certain things, it is possible to escape the punishment which is suspended from the celestial periods, and by not performing them, the dreaded event will necessarily take place. 30. Indeed, if this were not the case, would it not be perfectly absurd to make this division, and to allow conformably to the oracles of the gods, that something must be granted to our choice? But neither must we proclaim this of divinity, videlicet, that his oracles are given in vain, nor must we exterminate from human life the utility of divination, and of the sacerdotal office, because you have all history, both barbarian and Grecian, conjointly testifying that through divination, whether from divine inspiration or from human art, many have frequently known what it was requisite to do, and through this knowledge have been liberated from evils, which would have been otherwise inevitable. This, then, I determine as appropriate to the present discussion, that sometimes this much celebrated divination, and the performance of sacred rites, contribute to a certain thing being effected or not, and sometimes predominate over those generations which are introduced from the universe. When, therefore, since all things are in all, divine and demoniacal causes concur in one, and as it were assert the same thing, then the works of sacrifice are seen to be inefficacious. For it is impossible for a part to oppose and affect things contrary to the whole, and for knowledge in this case neither adds nor takes away anything from the events which are the subjects of divination. But when, in consequence of there being many things of this kind, these effect one thing and those another, as, for instance, these effect the destruction, but those the safety of the diseased, through the operations of the celestial bodies upon us, as is evident from all history, then the performance of some sacred rite, by employing cooperative powers, liberates us from the noxious deflections by those that are beneficial. And the consideration of the future contributes much to effects. In short, that which is in our power being coordinated with these, or with other causes, as in calamities, in consequence of receiving a greater increase through its own motion, exhibits sometimes one and sometimes another end. And know that this takes place in things which are externally produced. Everywhere, however, the quality of the impulse has a prior existence, and choice characterizes that which is in our power. This also is the work of the soul, 
which abides in it and is not to be referred to the universe conformably therefore to these things as it appears to me you say that the universe governs all animals and that we and other animals have a diminished life imparted from the air and the first circulation and that the rational part indeed is in the brain but that what is called sense is in the organs of sense and is conversant with different sensibles but that the sight the hearing and the other senses differ only in their subjects but are essentially one and without diversity thirty one hearing you make this arrangement i was surprised that a lover of philosophy and intellectual speculations and why do i say of intellectual speculations but who is also skilled in the paths of erudition and in the inventions of geometry and arithmetic should attribute as much to the senses as to our rational and intellectual essence though they scarcely come into contact with the objects of knowledge through debile organs and should conceive that they only differ from each other and from the rational part by a certain diversity of organs for we have indeed elsewhere and prior to this shown that all the senses are inseparable from body and incapable of being converted to themselves but that the rational and intellectual life is naturally adapted to know itself and in consequence of this knowledge to be converted to itself for everything gnostic is according to energy converted to the object of knowledge and therefore that which is gnostic of itself is converted to itself what identity therefore do you see between the intellectual and the sensitive soul between that which looks downward and that which tends upward and in short what identity do you perceive between the soul which is buried in bodies and the soul which is unmingled with bodies between that which can never know truth and that which always extends itself to real being thirty two but if the appetite which is according to nature is not in vain in anything else neither is it in that which is sometimes allotted the perception of truth i omit to say that it is absurd to assert that the essence of a divine soul flows downward from ether if it is proper to call that which is impossible absurd for the souls which are derived from ether are allotted a corporeal generation but the athenian guest demonstrates that the rational soul is more ancient than all bodies but if by ether you do not mean a body but an ethereal intellect or an intellectual soul surrounding ether neither thus do you appear to me to have discovered the most true cause of the soul for there is another fountain of souls from which ethereal souls the souls of the sublunary elements demoniacal souls and ours are derived and it is necessary to look to that cause which plato concealing the truth as it appears to me calls the crater 
in which he represents the demiurgus mingling the soul of the universe as timaeus says not from ether but prior to bodies the chaldean oracles also celebrate the essential fountain of every soul of the imperial ethereal and material and separate this from the whole vivific goddess from which also suspending the whole of fate they make two series the one psychical and the other fatal deriving the soul therefore from one of these series they assert that it sometimes becomes subservient to fate when becoming irrational it changes its lord videreliket fate for providence thirty three that as i have said however you have not asserted anything worthy the intellectual energy of geometry and arithmetic in coordinating our soul with the senses you may learn by considering that the first employment of these sciences is to separate the soul from that energy which subsists in conjunction with the senses to withdraw it from them as much as possible to accustom it to look within to see immaterial reasons and to investigate demonstrations the conclusions of which are contrary to the informations of the senses for they indeed reject impartability but these sciences require it and derive their existence from impartables since partibles are the principles of the former but impartibles of the latter and the knowledge of the senses indeed is confined to particulars but universals and those things the nature of which is always the same are the objects of the knowledge of the above-mentioned sciences which they do not derive from the senses for imperfect are not the causes of perfect things but supernally from intellect on which account also they sit in judgment on the senses reprehend the grossness of their knowledge the passivity of their perceptions and their indefinite motions thirty four for indeed the knowledge of the senses is truly ludicrous but the intention of the mathematical sciences is to liberate us from things ludicrous and accustom us instead of pursuing these to investigate the knowledge of real being it belongs to the sensible life therefore to be under the dominion of fate and to be acted upon differently at different times in conjunction with bodies in which the necessity from fate consists for every form inseparable from matter is ingenerated in and contained by it since it does not pertain to it through being converted to itself to say that what externally accedes to it is one thing and that which is true another but it alone says that it announces passion on which account it belongs to alter motive natures in consequence of not having an energy perfectly liberated from them the intellectual life however 
is according to its own nature converted to itself and cannot endure to follow the violent passions of sense but contains in itself criteria of the fallacious motions externally introduced and adds indeed what is deficient to the passive perceptions of sense and confutes the fallacy of its information accomplishing at the same time all this by its own proper energy for it is not the province of things which pertain to sense to form a judgment of sense but this belongs to intellectual reasons which the knowledge of sense is incapable of receiving the immaterial therefore and separable life and which energizes in itself must be admitted to be contrary to that of sense and to this must be given a choice of inclination upward and downward to intellect by which it was produced and to sense which it generates but we must admit that sense and all corporeal lives are without choice because this is also the case with bodies for the rational soul being a medium between intellect and sense tends to both on account of the unstable inclination of choice but it becomes according to habitude each of the extremes of which it is essentially neither but the perfection which it derives from intellect and the deception which it receives from sense manifest its middle nature and such as it appears to me is the correction of the dogma thirty five with respect to your opinion concerning good which you have introduced into the midst of your inquiries that what is delectable to the several individuals of mankind is good and that this exists by position since different things are considered as legal by different nations i should be ashamed indeed if in writing to a friend i did not manifestly assert that i conceive this opinion to be unworthy both of my choice and my years for it does not appear to me to be at all wonderful that a young man in consequence of looking to the opinions of men in many things should form such an opinion but i think he who admits that an aged intellect ought to preside as a judge will adopt the decisions of intellectual conceptions and not those which the rumour and unbalanced motions of the multitude have spread abroad now therefore because to the persians some things appear to be delectable and also certain things which are congruous to these delectables are considered by them as legal but to the greeks other things appear to be delectable and legal and to other nations other things on this account a different thing is imagined to be good and delectable by different people and whoever is allotted a delight which is naturally good to every one will possess an end adapted to man but whoever errs from this end though he should be a thousand times delighted with things which are present to him and appear to be good 
yet he will reap but an imperfect fruit of such delight. 36. But it is, as it seems, true, that one inconvenience being given, others follow, which you also appear to me to suffer. For placing the soul under the dominion of fate, you have coordinated her with the irrational senses, and, collecting these into one and the same thing, you have mingled good with that which is debile. It is necessary, however, to eject both the former and this from the soul, that we may not ignorantly ascribe the same things to men as to brutes, whose life is without conversion to itself, and is naturally bent to earth, and whose knowledge is mingled with material passions. These things also are unfolded by Plato, with, as I may say, adamantine arguments. For, says he, that which is not good is not truly delectable, though all oxen should assert it to be so. For we are not to adduce the testimony of oxen, but of the gods, with whom there is intellect, and the good of being, which is more divine than intellect itself. These things being clearly asserted in the Gorgias, the Philippus, and the Republic, I think it would be superfluous to dwell on them any farther. 37. This, however, I will add to what has been said, that the investigation of good is not to be mingled with the delectable, for thus the petulance of delight will cause us to be foolish. But the all-various diversities of human customs and legal institutions are to be referred to the different lives of souls, videlicet, to the rational, the irascible, and the epithematic forms of life, for the former germinate from the latter, since, as it is said, they are not derived from an oak, nor from a rock. But the many-headed beast persuades these to establish such things by law as the Persians established. The leonine soul persuades others to adopt such things as the Thracians adopted, and in others reason prevails in the adoption of legal and true good. And the delectable indeed is common to all these. For the appetible, when present, is delectable to every one, but good is not delectable to all men, but to those in whom reason presides. For the passions do not see good, but this is alone the province of reason. And to reason, indeed, the delectable and the good are the same. But the fabrication of things did not give to the blind passions the investigation of good, but of the delectable. For every species of life, when it energizes without impediment, is delighted. Hence, there are many legal institutions, and all various delectables, and they are different to different persons. But good is alone 
with those in whom reason predominates over the passions. For dominion must not be given to desire, that we may not be affected in the same manner as asses, nor to anger, that we may not resemble lions, but it must be given to that which is the most excellent part of our nature, which we alone are, or according to which we principally subsist. For the being of everything which consists of many things, some better and others worse, is according to that which is the best among them. For that which is best sagaciously conjectures the nature of good. End of section 37